0: One of my favorite, most and most endearing stories um, came from around the turn of the first century. This great uh, Polish pianist and statesman, his, his last name was Paderewski. He was once scheduled to perform a great concert uh, in a hall here in America. And it was a black tie affair high society extravaganstra and so the big performing arts uh, theater was filled with people to the brim and all these people gathered to hear this great uh, musician as he sat down before the great grand piano that sat in the midst of the stage and the story goes like this present in the audience that evening was a woman who had brought her young boy with her, hoping that he would be encouraged to practice the piano if he could just hear the great Paderewski at the keyboard. Weary of waiting for the concert to begin and being there against his wishes, this little lad squirmed restlessly in his seat. That's easy to picture, isn't it? and then as his mother turned around uh, and began to talk and visit with some friends the boy slipped out of his seat down the aisle strangely drawn to the Ebony Concert grand piano sitting majestically and alone in the center of the great stage he snuck up, sat down on the tufted leather stool, placed his small hands on the black and white keys, and began to play. Chopsticks. (laughs) Suddenly, the crowd became hushed all over the cathedral the concert hall. Hundreds of frowning faces turned in his direction, irritated and embarrassed. Some began to shout, hey! Get that boy off the stage. Where's his mother? Somebody stop him. But backstage, Paderewski heard the uproar and the sound of the simple tune on the grand piano. And when he saw and realized what was happening, he hurried onto the stage from behind the curtain And without a word to the audience, he walked up behind the lad, reached his arms around both sides of him, and began to improvise. A a counter melody. And as the two made music together, the master pianist leaned over the boy and kept whispering in the boy's ear, Keep going. Don't quit, son. Keep playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. Paderewski had a touch like no other on the keys of the piano, a master. But he had never become highbrow, snooty, high class. He remembered where he'd come from. He had what you might call the touch in more than one way. Not only the touch on the keys, but the touch with people and with that boy. touch. We we refer to a gifted musician as having the right touch. That special sixth sense that lifts sterile black notes off white pages and transforms them into something colorful, moving, beautiful, strains of a masterpiece. Give some pianists the score and and, and you get the harmony and the rhythm played at, with the proper timing. Place the same piece before one with the touch, and there's no comparison. One plays music, sure enough, but the other experiences the music, feels it, is moved by it, understands it, in, a fa- in some ways lost in it and helps us to do the same. Touch is something caught, but it's not necessarily taught. Some things, as, the, as our Scots friends might say, some things are better felt than telt. Well, Paderewski had the touch, but so did the Apostle Paul. And we began this service by saying, we can never say as Christian people, well, I'm just not that way, or that's just the way I am, arrogantly expressing that that's just me. That's the way I've always been. That's the way I'll always be. That is the antithesis of what it means to be a child of God in whom Christ is at work to change us. Well, there's a case in point in a, in a little New Testament letter, and we're going to look at it briefly this morning, and I want you to see this with me. Last night I sat up pondering it, thinking all over again how the Apostle Paul put warmth and grace and color. He made vivid the very things that he taught those Colossians, in chapter 3, as he wrote them from prison. So if you would open your New Testament to the little letter of Philemon this morning, you'll see this with me. Philemon uh, in your New Testament is just before Hebrews, if I remember right. It's right after Titus and just before Hebrews. The title of the message is A Little Letter from a Big Heart. Kind of like Paderewski leaning over that little boy at the, master, at, at the grand piano upon that stage. With warmth and grace and tactfulness, Paul addresses a friend of his named Philemon. And there is hardly anything that I know of more warm, more insightful, more tactful, that shows that even though the Apostle Paul was a lion for God in boldness, who was willing to endure incredible suffering for the cause of Christ and of the gospel, yet when it came to relationships with others, he could show in ways like hardly anyone else that he had the touch and understanding of the grace of God in his life. So before we actually look at this, I want to ask you a simple question. If you were somebody else and you were frustrated with life and agitated and going through a difficult time, maybe you were upset about something Maybe you felt resentful because of the way you'd been treated. Whatever the circumstance may be, would you choose you as the person you'd come to for help, for support, for a listening ear, for a kind and caring heart? Would you choose you? To come to when you were in great need, and just let that question lie lie on your heart for a little bit. now, in this letter, it's easily divided up into three headings, and I can tell you. This is the scenario, and it's really quite an amazing little letter because when you think about God's hand in providence, think about this with me. This took place in the Roman Empire in the first century. And it took place, and it involves three people. It involves the Apostle Paul, and it involves his friend named Philemon, Paul is in prison in Rome, and his friend lives in Asia Minor in the city of Colossae. The third individual in this story, his name is Onesimus. And at the time that this happened, there were, estimated by historians, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Did you hear that number? 60 million slaves. And in God's providence, Philemon, who lived in Colossae, who had wealth and prosperity and owned slaves, was a man that Paul had led to faith in Jesus Christ, and Philemon's life had been transformed and changed. Philemon's slave, Onesimus, from all accounts, robbed him and ran away. Off out into the Roman Empire. And he's one of 60 million slaves in the empire. And this one slave, Onesimus, finds his way, if we can put it that way, finds his way into an encounter with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul gets to know him and leads him to Christ And Onesimus, this runaway thief, Paul learns that he is the slave of his good friend Philemon that he had led to faith as well. Now how's that for a drama unfolding and the odds of that occurring, right? So now Paul is faced with a predicament, Onesimus has become my brother. He's one of us. But he's a runaway slave, and in those days, a slave that ran away, he was simply reported to the magistrates, sort of the equivalent would be having a warrant out for your arrest. You report the name and the description of the slave that ran away because you paid for him. He's your property. However good or cruel you may be as a slave owner, he's yours, and he's run off. And so you report him, and the description is given, and something similar to a warrant is put out on him. Now he has made his way from Colossae all the way to Rome, and must have got into some kind of trouble because he ended up meeting Paul in prison. So there's the background. Now you're Paul, and you're gonna write your friend Philemon, who was very likely robbed and by his slave, and then the slave ran off. How are you gonna handle this? Do you have the touch to handle a precarious situation that is so has so much tension? potential in it. How would you handle it? How would you try to fix this this mess? So that's what the letter of Philemon is all about. Paul writes a letter to his friend Philemon and the issue is what do we do about Onesimus who has now come to faith in Christ he belongs in the family of God. He's united to Christ just as you are, Philemon, and just as I am, Paul. What are we going to do with him? That's what this letter is about. So, the first of the three headings is simply this Paul begins, as you would expect with a letter, he begins with appreciation for his friend, Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I think about you. So let's look at verses uh, 1 through 3. To start with, we find out that Paul expresses his uh, appreciation for the fact that Philemon is a family man. And he's not only a family man, but he's a faithful man in Christ, and he's also a fruitful man that God has used to impact the lives of others. So we are looking at verses 1 through 7. Follow with me. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he began, that was the introduction to the letter. Verse 4, I thank my God always, Paul writes, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, you're on Onesimus. You're reading this letter from Paul. This is great. I got a letter from the great apostle, my friend who led me to Christ. Here I am. I've got this letter. And he says, I thank God always as I think of you. So it's very personal. Nothing about Onesimus, you've got to remember Philemon doesn't see it coming. He has no clue that Onesimus, his runaway slave, is going to come into this letter. So you're reading along. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Oh, that makes me feel good, Paul. Because I, I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. He doesn't see the issue of Omnissimus coming. I have, I have come to have so much joy Oh, Philemon, and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Onesimus is reading this. He's thinking, wow, this is, this is encouraging. Nothing like a letter from the Apostle Paul. In verse 8, Therefore, though I, though I have enough confidence in Christ, to order you to do what is proper yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you and that's the second point he affirms him and expresses all this warmth and appreciation he has the touch you're a good man, you're a fa- you're a man, a good family man Philemon and you're faithful to the saints, and faithful to Christ. And you're a fruitful man. You're making the difference in the lives of other people. He affirms him with all of this. And then secondly, he begins to appeal to him now. In verse 8, look at it again. The appeal for Onesimus. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ in order uh, to order you to do what is proper, Paul says, you know who I am. I'm an apostle. I could just blurt it out and tell you what you need to do. But he doesn't do that. Verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, after nine verses, we finally get to the reason for this letter. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Now, imagine you're Philemon. You're reading this letter from Rome all the way to Colossae. In the great Roman Empire, that is, that has over 60 million slaves in the, in, in the empire, and Paul now has brought up the name of that runaway slave, and he's calling him my child. I appeal to you, verse 10, for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who Formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. <laughs> this is so wise, so beautiful, what he's doing. And it's so genuine. He's not being coercive. He's not being manipulative. He's, he's saying, listen, we need to raise the bar of our Christian devotion to the master himself, and we need to handle this situation in a way that honors Christ. That's really what he's doing. It's amazing to me, and quite beautiful. And so in verse 12 we read, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart. <laughs> Whom I, I, wished to, I wanted to keep him with me, so that on your behalf by Lehman, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything. So that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. Can you think of a more gracious, more beautiful way to communicate in such a Volatile, potentially volatile situation? So he appeals to Onesimus. And basically he says, I need you to forgive him for your sake, Philemon. And I need you to forgive him for his sake. Onesimus needs your forgiveness. But I also need you to forgive him for my sake. Because when I send him to you, it's as though I'm sending to you my own heart. What are you going to do with my heart? My dear friend Philemon, what are you going to do with my heart? you going to step all over it? What are you going to do? So he first expresses appreciation for his dear friend Philemon, who he had led to Christ. And then he he expresses an appeal on behalf of Onesimus and says, forgive him for your sake and for for his sake and for my sake. And now he sends an assurance. And this is probably the most crucial part of this little letter, that if you miss this, you, you, you miss you miss the force that's behind Paul as he writes it. The assurance from Paul. Look at verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. <laughs> you did mention it, Paul. <laughs> not to mention, but you did. <laughs> Remember, I led you to Christ, by Philemon, and we have this bond but I've led your runaway slave to Christ, and he and I have this bond. In fact, there's a three-way bond between us because we all have the same Lord and Master. You see what an amazing letter this is? And so Paul gives his guarantee. I will repay it. Whatever he stole, whatever he owes, I will pay for it myself. And then a gentle reminder from Paul that, not to mention the fact, Philemon, that you owe your very soul to me. Now, if you're Philemon, you're, you're squirming, you know. Man, what am I going to do? How can I say no to Paul? How can I exact the punishment Onesimus deserves? And what about my other friends? That the circles in which I run, who are also slave owners. What if they hear about how easy I was on Onesimus? And what if the other slaves hear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Paul says, "You owe me your very soul." And then listen now. Then in verse twenty-two. Well, actually, look at verse 20. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Can you imagine being in Philemon's shoes? What are you going to do? the overwhelming power of the grace of God when we appeal to somebody to forgive let go of that pride let go of that need for your rights let go of it and forgive if you know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ and then verse 22 (laughs) sort of clinches it. It's like I'm Philemon, I'm reading this letter and now in verse 22 Paul says at the same time also prepare me a lodging. Get my room ready. I'm coming to visit and have some sweet fellowship with you. Brothers face to face, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he greets you. As do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, all these guys, these dear brothers that are witnesses of my letter that I'm sending you. grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now you're Philemon. What you gonna do? (laughs) There isn't even any, how can a letter be so inspired by the Holy Spirit, so filled with the grace and goodness of God as to Command nothing, order nothing in such sweet, gentle appeal. Leave you, Philemon, sitting there with absolutely no wiggle room. There is none. You gotta do what the great apostle said to do. Right? Now, back to our original question. Don't look at the person to your left or right or behind you. Just think about yourself. If you were having a hard time, no matter what form that difficulty took, no matter how agitated, frustrated, irritated, belligerent, ticked off at the world you were, would you come to you? For help, for advice, for comfort, for understanding. Would you come to you as somebody who has the touch? That's what growing into Christ likeness is about. None of us are there yet. But it's a good question to ponder, isn't it? Would you choose you? as someone to confide in. In this letter, of course, tucked away in it, it's unmistakable, isn't it? Because there's one right now. Listen to me now. There's one who is exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And he knows your name and everything about you. And he says, listen to me, he says to God the Father, Father, if he or she owes anything, Father put it, charge it to me, charge it to me, I will pay for it all. Has Christ paid for us? Has he paid it all? All to him I owe, right? Sin had left a crimson stain, but what? He washed it white as snow. So, what is all this about? Well, on one hand, Christ himself is reflected through Paul. Paul becomes a visual aid this morning in our little kids' class, Dottie and um, Caitlin taught the kids the Word of God. And they used visual aids on the flannel graph and had a great time. And God calls you and he calls me to be his visual aid. Just like Paul was a visual aid of the Lord Jesus Christ of his mercy, of his grace, of his forgiving heart, and his willingness to take on what was owed by Onesimus and take it upon himself. We are vigilates like Paul, but you know what else? The great reformer Martin Luther, as soon as he read through carefully the book of Philemon, you know what he said? the great reformer of the 16th century Martin Luther said every one of us is an Onesimus every one of us a runaway thief every one of us a sinner needing God's grace and mercy and forgiveness what a letter You wouldn't think there's all that in that letter, would you? You know, when my daughter was here a few weeks ago, Anna and her husband and the grandkids, you know, it's a small thing, but you can't imagine. It was just shortly after, about three days after my car accident. And uh, I was shook up by that. Not so much physically, but emotionally I was. And I, in fact, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you all, but I drove Greenwood for about two weeks. The Greenwood loop to avoid that section of highway on 395. Because it's kind of frightening to have a log truck barreling down on you, crushing you from, crushing you from every side. And to walk away. Thank God, without a bruise. So, the emotion, I'm kind of tender, you know, and I'm not trying to whine, but I I just, it shook me up, you know, and on the inside, I was all agitated for about four days, five days. But I said, Anna, let's go get some Kentucky Fried Chicken and stuff for the family. And we, I don't know, we had about a dozen to feed. And so we drove over that afternoon, it was about four or five o'clock, and we took Greenwood and we went over to Kentucky Fried Chicken and we waited in the line. There was about a half a dozen cars. It was around five o'clock. Six o'clock maybe. And we got up and of course we ordered the biggest family style with, you know, the buckets and chicken and potatoes and baked beans and extra cold sauce and all this stuff. And we got up there to the window, and the window slid open. I had my debit card ready. I'd, Anna wanted to pay for it, and I, we had an argument about that. So I gave her my debit card, and she was ready to give it. And the person through the window said, oh, I'm sorry. The card in front of you has paid in full your dinner. And I didn't know who it was or why. But you know, I, I guess probably because I was kind of emotionally tender in those, that week, those three days that followed that wreck. Man alive, I just, tears just came streaming down my cheeks. I can't believe it. Somebody, you know, and it's not that big a deal. I mean, it was $60 or something, but they paid for the whole dinner and did it anonymously and didn't even tell us who they were. That does something to you. It affects you to have somebody just show grace like that, completely undeserved, and just show a kindness. I asked Anna, "What do you think that was all about?" She said, "Well, Dad, maybe either they looked in their rearview mirror and they saw who was behind them, or it's this new thing that people do, paying forward or something." I didn't care; they paid for it, and. Uh, <laughs> We got this dinner to take home as a gift from somebody that I didn't even know. Isn't that cool? Well, I believe God wants in your life and in my life, he wants us to be the kind of person we would choose to go to if we were hurting if we were troubled. Even if we were so cantankerous and upset and angry about, we're just mad at the whole world. No matter what the condition, am I the kind of person that I would choose to go to? How about you? Part of growing as a believer, of course, is knowledge, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also this Jesus said no student is above his teacher but everyone after they have been fully trained will be like their teacher how's school going guys have you forgotten that we're in school You thought it was just your kids that are in school? We're all in school. And the Lord sets up the classroom, and he chooses the quizzes, and sometimes they're pop quizzes. We didn't even see them coming. He's changing us to be more like him. Amen? Amen. Philemon. I can't wait to sit down with Philemon and say, would you please just tell me? Tell me how you felt at the first reading of Paul's letter to you. <laughs> uh, seriously, I think those kind of thoughts. I can't wait. Tell me about it. Because it was all, by the time he was done that reading that letter, it was like, well, it uh, didn't take me but five minutes. I decided to become a slave. Onesimus could run the whole thing. And he was, you know, I mean, that's how he must have been feeling. So full of grace and goodness. Well thank you for being a little extra patient with me, letting me develop these thoughts. I hope you never read I hope you never read Philemon the same again. It's a great, great letter.